Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue the story of Nuruddin Ali and his son, and of Shamsuddin Muhammad and his daughter. We see here for the first time actual geographical destinations that do correspond in actuality to the location where Nuruddin begins his journey in Cairo, going to Bilbaeus, Jerusalem, Aleppo, and finally ending in Basra. We also have mention of a town in Egypt, Caleb or Kulub, as Nuruddin tries to throw off his scent as his brother might try to follow him. References here are also made on how people perceive travelers during this time, such as the interaction between the vizier of Basra and Nuruddin, and how they have to concoct a story in order to adopt those coming from outside of their known environs. Lastly, the special episode that was supposed to be out today will be delayed to our next upload due to some unforeseen circumstances. We apologize. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. 
Now it happened one night that the Sultan proposed commencing a journey on the following morning, and it was the turn of the elder vizier to accompany him, and the two brothers were conversing together that night. The elder said, O oh my brother, it is my wish that we should both marry on one night. Do, O oh my brother, as thou desirest, for I agree to your suggestion answered the younger, and I will comply with that which thou shalt say. So they agreed to do this. The elder then said to his brother, If Allah so decree that we obtain the betrothal of two maidens, and accomplish our marriage on the same night, and consummate the marriage the same night, and they give birth to children on the same day, and Allah will that thy wife have a son, and my wife have a daughter, we will marry them to each other, for they will be cousins. And what, O my brother, said Nuruddin, wilt thou require of my son as the dowry of thy daughter? He answered, I will require of thy son as the dowry of my daughter three thousand dinars, and three gardens, three orchards, and three farms, and three estates. On no other terms will the marriage contract be valid. For if the young man make any other contract than this, it will not be proper. But when Nuruddin heard this proposal, he exclaimed, What is this dowry that thou imposest upon my son? Doth thou not know that we are two brothers, and that we are both viziers of one dignity? And if there must be one, then it should be fixed at something that will merely show people that a payment has been made. It were incumbent on thee to offer thy daughter to my son as a free gift, without any dowry, for thou knowest that the male is more honorable than the female, and my child is a male, and by him shall our memory be preserved, not by thy daughter. What sayest thou of her? asked his brother. That our memory will not be preserved by her among the nobles? answered Nuruddin. But thou desirest, added he, to act with me according to the opinion of him who saith, If thou desire to drive away a person who would buy, demand of him a high price. And added, You want to deal with me like the man in the story who approached one of his friends to ask for something. I swear by the name of Allah, said his friend, that I shall do what you ask but tomorrow. In reply, the other recited, If favors are put off until next day, for those who know, that is rejection. I see thee, replied Shamsuddin, to have committed a fault in making thy son more honorable than my daughter. Thou art doubtless deficient in judgment. It is clear that you lack intelligence and have no manners, and destitute of good disposition seeing that thou mentionest the partnership in the office of the vizier, when I admitted thee not to share it with me, excepting in my pity for thee. 
and that thou mightiest assist me. You talk about our shared vizierate, but I only let you share out of pity for you, so that you might help me as an assistant, and I might not cause you disappointment. But talk as thou wilt, since thou hast said this, by Allah I will not marry my daughter to thy son, though thou offer me her weight in gold. On hearing these words of his brother, Nuruddin was enraged and said, I will not marry my son to thy daughter. I will not accept him as a husband for her, replied Shamsuddin. And if I were not purposing a journey, I would do to thee deeds that should serve as warnings to others. However, when I return, Allah will do what he willeth. Were I not going off on a journey, I would make an example out of you. But when I get back, I shall let you see what my honor requires. When Nur ad-Din heard this, he was full of anger and became unconscious of existence. But he concealed his feelings, and each of the two brothers passed the night apart from the other. And in the morning, the sultan set out on his journey and crossed over to the island, proceeded towards the pyramids, accompanied by the vizier Shamsuddin. Nur ad-Din passed the night in a state of the utmost rage, and when the morning came, he arose and having performed the morning prayers, went to his closet and took out from it a pair of small saddlebags, which he filled with gold, and as he reflected upon the words of his brother and the contempt which he had shown him, and the pride that he had manifested towards him, he repeated these verses. Travel, thou wilt find a friend in the place of him thou leavest, and fatigue thyself, for by labor are the sweets of life obtained. To a man of intelligence and education, there is no glory in a constant residence, Therefore quit thy native place, and go abroad. I have observed that the stagnation of water corrupteth it. If it floweth, it becometh sweet, but otherwise it doth not. If the full moon never set, the eye of the contemplative would not on every occasion pay regard to it. The lines, if they left not the forest, would capture no prey, and the arrow, if it quitteth not the bow, would not strike the mark. The grains of gold upon their native bed are regarded as mere dust, and the aloes wood where it groweth is a kind of firewood. If exported, it becometh an object of high demand, but if not, it attaineth no kind of distinction. He started to recite these lines. Go and you will replace the one you leave behind. Work hard, for in this lies life's pleasure. The stay at home is humble, arriving at no goal, except distress, so leave your land and go. I see that water left to stand goes bad. If it flows, it is sweet, but if not, it is not. Were the full moon not to wane, the watcher would not always follow it. Lions that do not leave their lair will find no prey. Arrows not shot from bows can strike no target. Gold dust when in the mine is worth no more than earth. 
and aloes wood in its own land is merely used for fires. When taken from the mine, gold is a precious object of demand, while elsewhere in the world it is outranked by aloes wood. He then ordered one of his young men to saddle for him a dapple mule, tall and of quick pace. This beast, colored like a starling, had a high dome-like back. Its saddle was of gold and its stirrups of Indian steel. Its trappings were like those of the Khusros, and it looked like a bride unwailed. And he did so, placing upon her a saddle adorned with gold, with stirrups of Indian steel, and housing of the velvet of Isfahan and she resembled a bride displayed before her husband. He ordered him also to place upon her a carpet of silk and a prayer carpet, and to put the saddlebags beneath the latter. And when this was done, he said to the young men and the slaves, I have a desire to take a ride for my amusement outside the city towards the province of Kalub and shall be absent three nights, and let none of you follow me, for my heart is contracted. Having thus said, he mounted his mule in haste, and taking with him a small supply of food, departed from the city of Cairo, turning his face towards the open country. The hour of noon overtook him not until he entered the city of Bilbays, where he alighted to repose himself and rest his mule and ate, after which he took from this place what he required for himself and some provender for his mule, and, having placed these provisions upon her, went forth again into the plain, and before noon on the second following day, he entered Jerusalem. Here he alighted again, and rested himself and his beast, and ate. He then placed his saddlebags under his head, and spread his carpet, and slept, still overcome by anger. There he stayed for three days in one of the khans, looking around the place at his leisure, until both he and the mule were rested. He passed a night in this place, and in the morning he remounted, then set out into the country, and when night fell he had come to a place called Al-Sadia. Here he spent the night, getting out some food, placing the saddlebags beneath his head, and spreading out the carpet. In the morning he remounted, and continued to urge on his mule, until he arrived at Aleppo, where he alighted at a khan, and remained three days to give rest to himself and his mule, and to enjoy the air of the place, which having done, he determined to prosecute his journey, and mounted his mule and went forth. He knew not whither to direct his course, but travelled on until he arrived at the city of Al-Basra, and scarcely was he aware that the night had overtaken him, when he alighted there at a khan, where he took off the saddlebags from his mule, and spread the prayer carpet, committing the mule with her equipage to the care of the doorkeeper, and ordering him to walk her about a little. The doorkeeper did so, 
and it happened that the vizier of al-Basra, sitting at a window of his palace, saw the mule and observing her costly equipage, thought that she must belong to some vizier or sultan, and as he attentively regarded her, he was surprised and said to one of his pages, Bring before me that doorkeeper. So the page went and brought him, and the doorkeeper approaching kissed the ground before him. The vizier, who was an aged person, then said to this man, Who is the owner of this mule, and what is his appearance? O oh, my lord, answered the doorkeeper, her owner is a young man of elegant person, and of the sons of merchants, and of a dignified and grave aspect. On hearing this, the vizier arose, and mounting his horse, went to the khan and introduced himself to the young man, who, as soon as he saw him approaching, rose to meet him and embraced him. The vizier, after he had alighted from his horse, saluted him and welcomed him, and seating him by his side, said to him, Whence, O my son, hast thou come, and for what purpose? O my lord, answered Nuruddin, I have come from the city of Cairo, my father was vizier there, and he hath departed to receive the mercy of Allah. And he informed him of all that had happened to him, from first to last, adding, I have determined that I will not return until I have seen all the cities and countries of the world. O my son, replied the vizier, obey not the suggestions of thy mind, lest thou expose thyself to destruction, for the countries are waste, and I fear on thine account the issues of fortune. Do not obey the promptings of pride, or you will destroy yourself. The lands are desolate, and I am afraid lest time bring misfortunes on you. So saying, he ordered that the saddlebags should be placed again on the mule, together with the carpet of silk and the prayer carpet, and took Nuruddin with him to his house, where he lodged him in an elegant apartment, and treated him with honor and kindness, and conceiving a strong affection for him, said to him, O oh, my son, I have become an old man, and I have no male children. Allah, however, hath blessed me with a daughter who resembleth thee in comeliness, and who is your match in beauty, and I have rejected many persons who have been her suitors. But now love for thee hath entered my heart. Wilt thou then take my daughter as thy handmaid to serve thee, and be her husband. If thou consent to this, I will go up to the Sultan of al-Basra, and will say to him, This is the son of my brother, and I will introduce thee to him, that I may make thee vizier in my place, and I will remain in my house, for I am now aged. Nuruddin, on hearing this proposal of the vizier of al-Basra, hung down his head, and then answered, I hear and obey. The vizier rejoiced at his assent and ordered his servants to prepare for him a repast and to decorate the great saloon which was furnished for the reception. 
of the chiefs of the emirs. And he told his servants to set out food and to decorate the main reception hall where the wedding of the emirs were held. He then called together his friends and invited the great officers of the state and the merchants of al-Basra. And when they had come into his presence, he said to them, I had a brother who was a vizier in the land of Egypt, and Allah blessed him with two sons. And me, as ye know, he hath blessed with a daughter. Now my brother enjoined me to marry my daughter to one of his sons, and I consented to do so. And when she attained a fit age for marriage, he sent to me one of his sons, who is this young man here present. As soon, therefore, as he had come, I desired to perform the marriage contract between him and my daughter and that he should introduce himself to her here in my house. Now that he has arrived, I want to draw up the marriage contract between him and my daughter, that the marriage may be consummated here, for he has a greater right to her hand than a stranger. After that, if he wants, he can stay here, or if he prefers to leave, I shall send him and his wife off to his father. Everyone there approved of the plan, looking at Nuruddin. They admired what they saw. Excellently hast thou done, they replied. The viziers then brought in the cadis and the notaries who drew up the contract. Incense was scattered. They then drank sherbet of sugar, and the pages sprinkled rose water upon them, and they departed, after which the vizier ordered his servants to conduct Nuruddin to the bath, and gave him a suit of his best clothes, and sent him towels, the napkins, and cups, bowls, and censers, and perfuming vessels, and everything else that he required. So when he came out from the bath, he put on a suit of clothes and appeared like the full moon when it was full on the fourteenth night. And he mounted his mule and, returning to the palace, alighted and presented himself before the vizier and kissed his hand. And the vizier welcomed him, saying, Arise and introduce thyself this night to thy wife, and tomorrow I will go up with thee to the sultan and I pray that Allah may bless thee with every kind of happiness. Night 21 Morning now dawned, and Shahrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twenty-first night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shahanshah, that the vizier got up to greet him, saying, Go in to your wife tonight and tomorrow. I will take you to the sultan. I hope that Allah will grant you every blessing. Nuruddin then did as the vizier said. Nuruddin therefore arose and went to his wife, the daughter of the vizier. Thus did it happen to Nuruddin. So much for him. As to his brother, he continued a while journeying with the sultan, and when he returned and found not his brother, he inquired of the servants respecting him, and they answered, On the day of thy departure with the sultan, 
he mounted his mule caprichined as for a procession of state and said, I am going to the province of Kulub and will be absent for a day or two days, for my heart is contracted. Therefore let none of you follow me. And from the day on which he went forth to the present day, we have heard no tidings of him. Upon this the heart of Shamsuddin was troubled at the separation of his brother, and he grieved excessively for his loss, saying within himself, The cause of this is nothing less than my having spoken harshly to him in my conversation on the night before my departure with the Sultan, and probably his mind was disturbed, and he went on a journey. I must therefore send after him. He then went up and related this event to the Sultan, who wrote letters and sent them to his vice-regents in all the provinces. But Nuruddin had traversed distant regions during the absence of his brother and the Sultan. Therefore, when they had gone with the letters, returned without having obtained any information respecting him. So Shamsuddin despaired of his brother and said, I have enraged my brother by what I said to him concerning the marriage of the children. Would that I had not done so. This was not occasioned but by my want of sense and judgment and soon after this he demanded in marriage the daughter of one of the merchants of Cairo, and performed the marriage contract between himself and her, and introduced himself to her, and it happened that the night when this event took place was the same night on which Nuruddin introduced himself to his wife, the daughter of the vizier of al-Basra, this being in accordance with the will of Allah whose name be exalted, that he might execute his decree upon his creatures. The event was as they both had said, for it came to pass that the two wives conceived by them, the wife of Shamsuddin, the vizier of Egypt, gave birth to a daughter, than whom there was not seen in that country one more beautiful, and the wife of Nuruddin gave birth to a son, one more beautiful than whom was not seen in his time. As the poet hath said, If beauty came to be compared with him, it would hang down its head in shame. Or if it were said, O beauty, hast thou seen the like? It would answer, The equal of this I have not. He was, as the poet described, a slender youth whose hair and whose forehead leave mankind to enjoy both dark and light, find no fault with the mole upon his cheek. Every corn poppy has its own black spot. Another poet has produced these lines. If beauty comes to be measured against him, it must hang down its head in shame. Asked, have you ever seen a sight like this? It answers, no, I haven't. Nur-Din named his son Badr al-Din Hassan, and his grandfather was overjoyed at his birth, and gave banquets and feasts worthy of the sons of sultans. And on the seventh day after his birth, they made entertainments and spread 
repasts such as were fit for the sons of sultans after which the vizier of al-basra took with him nuruddin and went up with him to the sultan and when he had come into his presence he kissed the ground before him and nuruddin being eloquent in tongue and firm of heart and comely in person and in actions as he was courageous handsome and generous recited these words of the poet this is he whose justice extendeth to all men and who hath overrun and subdued every region be thankful for his benefits for they are not mere benefits but they are the strings of jewels on the necks of his people and kiss his fingers for they are not mere fingers but they are the keys of the supplies of providence he had recited my lord may your prosperity endure and may you live while dark and dawn remain when men talk of your high-mindedness time itself dances as it clasps its hands the sultan treated them both with honour and having thanked nuruddin for his address said to his vizier who is this young man the vizier therefore related to him his story from beginning to end and added this is the son of my brother how is it said the sultan that he is the son of thy brother and we have not before heard of him the vizier answered o our lord the sultan i had a brother who was vizier in the land of egypt and he died leaving two sons the elder succeeded to his father's office as vizier and this younger son came to me and i swore that i would not marry my daughter to any but him so when he came i married him to her he is a young man and i am now aged my hearing is impaired and my judgment faileth it is my wish therefore that our lord the sultan would instate him in my office seeing that he is the son of my brother and the husband of my daughter and a person worthy of the dignity of vizier for he is endowed with knowledge and judgment the sultan found what he saw of nuruddin to be to his taste the sultan upon this looked towards him and being pleased with him approved of the advice of the vizier that he should promote him to that office so he bestowed it upon him and ordered that a magnificent dress of honour should be given to him and one of the best of the mules upon which he was accustomed to ride allotting him also supplies and salaries and nuruddin kissed the hand of the sultan and descended with his father-in-law to their house both in high delight and saying wearily the birth of this child is fortune on the following day nuruddin went again to the sultan and kissed the ground and recited happiness is renewed on every day together with good fortune confounding envious schemes may the white of your days not cease while the days of your enemies are black and the sultan ordered him to sit in the place of the vizier so he sat and occupied himself 
with the affairs of his office, and examining the cases of the people and their suits according to the custom of the viziers, and the sultan, observing him, was surprised at his conduct and the acuteness of his understanding and his good judgment. He attentively considered his qualities and loved him and advanced him in his favor, and when the court was dissolved, Nuruddin returned to his house and related what had passed to his father-in-law, who was rejoiced at hearing it. The old vizier ceased not to superintend the greeting of the child who was named Hassan for many days while Nuruddin was constantly occupied with the affairs of his office, so that he left not the sultan by day or by night, and the sultan increased his salaries and supplies until his circumstances became ample. He had ships which made voyages under his orders with merchandise and other things, and he found numerous estates and made water wheels and gardens. Thus did he until his son Hassan was four years of age, when the old vizier, the father of his wife, died, and he conveyed his corpse with great pomp and decently deposited it in the earth. He then turned his thoughts towards the education of his son, and when the child had attained strength, he brought him a tutor to teach him in his own house, charging him to instruct him and educate him well, and the tutor did so, and taught him various useful sciences, after he had passed some years in learning the Quran. The tutor taught Hassan to read and made him commit to heart many useful branches of learning, as well as getting him to memorize the Quran over a period of years. Hassan, meanwhile, increased in loveliness and beauty and elegance of person. As the poet puts it, a moon reaches its full in the heavens of his beauty, while the sun shines from his blooming cheeks. All beauty is his, and it is as though all that is fair in men derives from him. The tutor continued to educate him in his father's palace, and from the time he arrived at adolescence, he went not out of the vizier's palace until his father took him one day, and having clad him in one of the richest of his dresses, mounted him on one of his best mules, and conducted him to the sultan, and introduced him. When the sultan beheld Hassan Badruddin, the son of Vizier Nuruddin, he was astonished at his beauty, and the people, when he passed by them for the first time, going up with his father to the sultan, were amazed at his surpassing beauty and loveliness and elegance of person. They sat in the streets waiting for him to come back, so that they could have the pleasure of looking at his comely and well-shaped form. This was, as the poet puts it, one night as the astronomer watched, he saw the form of a graceful youth wandering in his twin robes. He observed how Gemini had spread for him the graceful beauty that his flanks displayed. Saturn had granted him black hair, 
coloring his temples with the shade of musk. From Mars derived the redness of his cheeks, while Sagittarius shot arrows made from his eyelids. Mercury supplied keenness of mind, and the bear forbade slanderers to look at him. The astronomer was bewildered at what he saw, and then ran forward to kiss the earth before him. The sultan, as soon as he saw him, loved him, and bestowed marks of favor upon him, and said to his father, O vizier, thou must bring him with thee every day. The vizier answered, I hear and obey, and returned with his son to his abode, and he continued every day to go up with him to the sultan until the youth attained the age of fifteen years. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 15. First, let us look at some of the terms that were used in this episode. Kalub Kulub, a city town in Lower Egypt, a commercial center for a significant agricultural region. Hassan, Arabic name meaning good-looking or handsome. Badruddin, Arabic name meaning full moon of faith. Al-Sadia, neighborhood in the Al-Rashid district of southwestern Baghdad, Iraq. Bilbaes, ancient fortress city on the eastern edge of the southern Nile Delta in Egypt. Now, let us look at the vocabulary used in this episode. Betrothal, a mutual promise or contract for a future marriage. Dowry, money, goods, or estate that a woman brings to her husband in marriage. Equipage. Material or articles used in equipment or trappings. Caparisoned, an ornamental covering for a horse or a decorative trapping and harness or rich clothing. Contracted, to bring on oneself especially inadvertently, to become affected with or to establish or undertake by contract. Keenness, intellectually alert or having or characteristic of a quick, penetrating mind, extremely sensitive in perception, or sharply contested. Khan, a caravanserai or rest house in some Asian countries. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night and may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful thank you for listening